Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I am super excited to welcome Jesse Rosenbaum to the show. Welcome, Jesse. Hello. Hey, everybody. I am super excited because uh, we don't often have people who are strategic account sellers, and that is exactly what Jesse is. He is an enterprise account manager at Veronis. Uh, Veronis helps organizations understand what's going on with their data, who has access to that data, and how that data should be used. Uh, we're not going to talk data today. We are going to talk about how important it is to make sure that you have account intelligence and deal intelligence. And hopefully we'll get to talk a little bit about strategic account seller compensation too. I keep saying we, because I don't just have Jesse with me. I've also got my trusty co-host, Jenna Sachs with us. Welcome, Jenna. Hey, everybody. All right. So we're going to dive right in, Jesse, get to know you a little bit. And the favorite question I've been asking people lately is, because so many people picked up interesting hobbies over, over COVID, or at least they've begun to express their hobbies more since their cameras are in their living rooms now. Any interesting or unusual hobbies that you have? So for a long time, as kind of a side hobby, side thing, I've been uh, playing with devil sticks. Uh, and then all through COVID, it's been something that it's been kind of fun to do to keep, take my mind off of work. I cannot light them on fire yet. A, so a devil stick is not a divining rod. You don't use that to find water. <laughs> no, devil sticks are, uh, it, it, you, sometimes you see them at circus acts, uh, or like at the circus. There's two sticks, two relatively short sticks, and there's one very long stick. And then you can bounce them back and forth. You can swing them around. You can throw them up in the air. Uh, and very skilled practitioners will light them on, light it on fire. Well, usually we try to segue like, how does devil stick work into deal intelligence. I think that one might be tough. I was thinking there is a strategy to <laughs> breaking into the devil stick. This is really a stretch here. But um, since we want to talk strategic accounts and how there's probably some tricks you do, some tricks you don't do. One thing that might help, I guess, for just for context, right, is what is a strategic account seller? It usually means you have relatively few accounts, right? So what does your book look like? So I've got a background in content of for about nine and a half years. And I've covered kind of the gambit of accounts. Um, so when I started at Veronis, I was an inside rep, BDR, TDR, covered commercial accounts. Uh, and now I'm at a point where I have some longstanding relationships where I manage kind of their entire relationship with Veronis across our whole portfolio. The goal is to bring on maybe one or two new customers in a given year. So about 25-ish. Got it. Okay. So, so a lot of it is farming, I would presume, right? But then you've got, you're trying to bring in one gigantic whale per year. So we can maybe separate those two things. I'm almost curious first about the whale hunting piece of it. So, you know, what does prospecting look like when you're when your goal is to bring one or two accounts per year? It must be very different than, you know, the usual stuff we've even talked about on the show. Yeah, it, it's it's a great question. When you think about an account where they may have hundreds of thousands of employees, uh, multiple locations, lots and lots of different groups and different requirements and different things that they're focused on. The picking up the phone and let's just call every single person who works in IT in that account, it just doesn't work. Uh, it's just, it's not a, a scalable, feasible way to approach an account of this size. To answer your question as far as like, what does prospecting look like? Is it's a lot of filtering out quickly and starting to figure out uh, who's not going to be worth my time or who, who's not going to be a, a good partner for me uh, and figuring out who is and then figuring out why is that person going to be a good partner for me? So one of the questions that I often ask myself or I often try to figure out is, if the solution that I'm trying to bring into this account is, let's call it $500,000 a year, a million, $3 million a year, 
has this person done this before? That's a great indication that they're the type of partner that I could work with in an organization of that size and can be really either a strong champion or a strong advocate for me. If they've never done it before, it doesn't mean that they can't, uh, but past history is often a great indicator of future success. If they've brought in large enterprise solutions before, they're a great partner to work with. Uh, The other thing that I think at the strategic level prospecting looks like is starting to figure out the ecosystem around the account, starting to figure out the ecosystem around the customer. Large organizations, they always buy something from somewhere from someone. And sometimes it's spread out in lots of different places. Sometimes it's consolidated. There's one or two suppliers that they really rely on. Uh, and a lot of the work that I do in, in my role is figuring out who those people are, who those organizations are, and then mapping myself and my organization back to those organizations so we can potentially go to market together or just share information back and forth that can help the customer mutually be successful. You mentioned uh, establishing whether or not the person had made this sort of purchase, and it, it has echoes of, of the book I just finished, The Qualified Sales Leader by uh, John McMahon, and he talks about this as well, that often you know your champions ha- have not done that before. How do you go about determining whether or not they've made a $3 million purchase? Uh, I, I can just imagine being on the other side of this. is like someone asking me, what's the biggest thing you've ever bought? It, w- I, it would be a weird question to answer. Yeah. Um, so in the, without talking about Verona specifically, security industry, right? In the information security community, if you will, some companies will do things like reference calls or case studies, or they'll do uh, webinars and they'll talk about the types of solutions that they purchased, the solutions that they bought. Um, you can use that and you can work backwards and figure out maybe who the people are, who the reps are that you can partner with to either get to that person or get an introduction. I also feel like you can look at someone's role and you can look at the types of things that they're focused on, whether like people they're connected to on LinkedIn, and then you can start to draw a, a connection that way. Or you can even start to look at things like things that they're posting up about on social media. Um, I think one of the things that I've heard a lot about on your podcast is it's easy to offer up a pair of AirPods, but it's very difficult to pull out something that somebody has done from like a LinkedIn post and has said, hey, these are the things that I'm interested in or see what somebody's interested in and use that in a prospecting email. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of deep digging, a lot of connecting dots and figuring out where I can help this person and where I can make a connection. Do you ever start with someone that maybe is, you know, maybe you're, you're having trouble breaking into the account. You start with somebody who is not necessarily experienced in that. And how do you go about leveraging that into finding the right person within the organization based on your relationship already? Yeah. So the upfront question is just asking the person you're working with and and really kind of letting them qualify themselves out early, I think is really important at the largest account. Because there's going to be a lot of resources that I'm going to have to bring to the table, that they're going to have to bring to the table. There's going to be a lot of discussion and making sure that they're aware, hey, to do this, this is what's going to have to happen. In, In your experience or based on your organization, what level do you think of folks we would need to involve in this type of conversation to make this a successful project or to make this a successful engagement? And if they're like, well, I'm not really sure, well, hey, is there anyone that you can think of in your organization that's maybe worked on something like this that we could ask and we could get some feedback from them of how they did it? Um, and then if they're not sure, you can start asking around and look at their website and say, wow, they're, they're buying these eight products. Do I know anybody at those companies? Do I know any of those reps? Could I ask them without violating NDAs or non-disclosures? Just at a high level, if they could speak to me about the process. And I do the same for people when I can. I think it was in John's book. Uh, these books begin to blur together. He was, there was a story that uh, he was telling about going to someone and that person only had budget authority for a million dollars and they needed to get to the CIO 
to make the $3 million sale. And what they did, I'm curious for your reaction to this, they booked a meeting with that champion and they were a legit champion, right? And they were ready to, they, they had signing authority for a million dollars. And uh, they booked a meeting immediately after with the CIO, but didn't tell the champion until they showed up for that prior meeting and then said, hey, you know, we think, you know, appreciate the bit, you know, the great relationship. We don't think you're going to accomplish your goals unless you do this solution. And we've you know, booked a meeting with your boss right after this. I mean, I would assume it was an honest story. I mean, it felt a little odd, but what, what, what's your reaction to, to that approach? How, how do you get around the person if they are already helping you, but you need to get to their boss? I think there's the question of, based on what we've done so far and based on who we'd have to involve and the process that we'd have to change, who do you think is going to be the biggest barrier and who do you think is going to be the biggest supporter of this initiative? And based on that, it starts to get them to think about, all right, so-and-so is going to be on board. That's easy. So-and-so is going to be a big barrier. And another interesting way to think about this is one of the things that somebody told me very early on in in my enterprise strategic career is, Jesse, there's going to be people that are Fox News people, and there's going to be people that are MSNBC or CNN people. Meaning, it doesn't matter if you're saying something that is cold, hard facts. If it comes from you, Jesse, they're not going to believe you. It's like somebody hears something from Fox, they don't believe it if they're a CNN person and somebody is a CNN person, Fox, kind of vice versa. So it's very important to make sure that the message is coming from the right person at the right time. And oftentimes that's something that you can really get coached on by somebody. Now, specifically answer your question of how to get around them to get to their boss. I think that's a pretty bold move that you were just describing. But I do feel like there are other situations and other other ways that you can get to somebody's boss without having to be as, as bold as, as you just described. I think the area of so, think social media has provided a lot of avenues for like webinars and for events in person. I think there's a lot of opportunities for kind of serendipitous connections where they don't have to be so contrived. You're like, hey, I've already done this. Get on board or else. How often when you're working with a champion, are you potentially finding that there are, having been a champion in multiple deals, sometimes it's gotten to the finish line and then it was blocked by maybe the CEO or blocked by someone that was unanticipated because maybe in our org, we weren't fully communicating. How often do you run into that from your side of things? And and how do you tend to navigate that when it happens? And kills the deal for you. Yeah, that's that's a really important thing that I think a lot of people miss or don't realize it until it's too late that this person uh, cannot get this done. So some of the questions that I'll ask in the beginning uh, to start to figure that out is, do you like your job? Do you like your boss? How does your compensation work? Do you get bonus based on money spent, money saved, based on project completion? Where do you see yourself in the company in a couple of years? Are the roles you're interested in? Um, I saw on your website that your organization has a leadership development program. Is that something that you're in? Are you considering it? I want to get a sense of how, how much gravitas does this person have in the organization? Because what I've seen in my own experience is if somebody comes to the table, the table with an idea like this before, the uh, odds that they're going to get sponsorship for, to your point, a million, half a million, $3 million purchase is pretty low. If this person is being placed on strategic projects, if they're part of a leadership committee, if they're doing mentorship for new hires, if they're very visible in the organization, especially in the area of, of remote work, uh, where they're, they're on the calendar of a lot of senior executives, whether it's like with a monthly touch point, bi-weekly touch point, I'm a whatever. That's the type of person I want to hook myself in with and I really want to be kind of aligned to. Just on that point, have you run into executive misalignment where maybe that champion was very plugged in with one executive and 
you know, maybe there was a misalignment once the deal is finally getting that last approval that maybe wasn't clear up front. Yeah, it, it definitely happens. And I think the best way to address that is before you get there. And I think that's why if you can find somebody who's done something before, uh, you're always going to be in a better chance than if you're working with somebody who's doing it for the first time. You know, when you're when you are whale hunting for that one or two accounts per year, how many accounts do you go after in order to get the one? I wouldn't say it's a number. I would say it's based on where do I feel like we can create a compelling enough story that there's enough pain there and we can tie to something, whether it's specific, like something happened or to something where we can point to so many examples in their industry that everyone has this exact same problem and we were the de facto standard. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about account and deal intelligence on the prospecting side. Obviously, you spend the bulk of your time on account management for those large existing accounts. How does your account and deal intelligence change when it's an existing account? The way that it changes when it's an existing account is I'm constantly looking for ways that I can become more valuable to the people that I'm working with. So I don't work for an organization like a bar or a value-added reseller where I have hundreds and hundreds of solutions. Veronis has a really good set of solutions for a chunk of the organization. We don't have, we can't be everything for everybody. So I'm constantly trying to figure out from the people that I'm working with, if I can't solve a problem for them with something that Veronis provides, do I know someone or do I have a relationship with someone that I can tap to put them in front of where they can be helped kind of through me, through someone that I know I have a relationship with? A couple of times you've mentioned difficult people in accounts that you need to you know, either manage or get around. Uh, I'm curious, maybe from your own experience, without mentioning names of companies or of individuals who turned out to be blockers, what's a particularly salient one in your mind that you remember having having trouble with with a person, and how did you kind of work either with them or through them or around them in order to to get a successful deal done with a company? So there are certainly accounts where I'm waiting for one of three things to happen, <laughs> uh, something bad to happen, someone to get fired or someone to quit. Challenging people or difficult people, I think really understanding what's motivating them and what's driving them. And if you can get that person you know, out for like a cup of coffee or for lunch, or even just on a call, and, and you could just start to ask the question and say, hey, I'm, I'm getting the sense you've worked with folks in my shoes, in my, in my shoes before, and it's really gone sour. Or I'm getting the sense that you've been burned before. Nine times out of 10, it's, oh, it's not that, it's this, or I was reading it wrong. I also feel like how you're introduced can oftentimes accelerate the relationship. So I'll give you an example. Um, I've had people I know for a fact have lobbed in 150, 250, 1,000 cold calls into certain accounts. But somebody is hosting a golf event, and if I send somebody a text and say, hey, I'm playing golf with so-and-so, I think they're amazing. Do you want to join? Five minutes later, sure, would love to. And me making that introduction accelerates that connection for that person. And I think when you meet people through other people that people already trust, I think it accelerates that relationship. Whereas if you're meeting somebody through 100 cold calls, you're finally convincing them to get on your 30-minute demo. You know, you finally got them, right? You, you wrapped your arms around, you pinned them down. It, it starts off with kind of a weird vibe, a weird dynamic. Yeah, it reminds me of your earlier comment about working with partners who are already trusted within accounts. The strategic accounts that sellers that I, I have spoken with, both on the podcast and outside the podcast, everybody mentions that. That is the key. And and your other point about, you know, sort of spreading the karma is helping helping those partners out proactively 
you know, it also speaks, I think, to the fact that, as, as you mentioned, it deserves to be called out having spent nine and a half years in a company, right? You, that ecosystem of partners and customers and internal people being able to leverage all of those relationships when you're trying to break in somewhere, I think is, is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think having been at Veronis when we were a young company, I think in the beginning, companies tend to do one or two things. They do them really, really well. And that's how they build their business. But as companies grow and as organizations try to look to become larger and more valued providers, it can go up market. The question is not, can it do solve one problem for me? It's, can it integrate with the rest of my ecosystem? Can it replace something that I've already, already have that I'm paying for? Maybe it's not as good as this thing that I already have. Is it good enough? Or is it part of the single suite and the single solution? Is it a whole solution as opposed to a partial solution? I have a partial solution today where this is a whole solution. Um, can it be managed by one team as opposed to five? Can I do it in-house as opposed to having to outsource? So I think a lot of those questions, Jeremy, are really important. And I think large enterprises are asking those types of questions pretty consistently. To switch gears a little bit, the other thing we wanted to ask you about in the, in the final minutes is the design of strategic account executive compensation plans. So imagine you're not in your role, right? So I don't don't honestly want you to to talk about your own compensation, but imagine you are, uh, you know, a RevOps leader or you're starting up a new strategic accounts organization. You read so much about how to comp regular, quote unquote, sellers. Strategic account compensation can be very different. So how would you go about designing compensation plan for, for people like yourself? What I've heard from other folks in my role and other organizations is there's two aspects that are really important. Number one is giving people an opportunity to win is really important. I'm not in a role where I do one deal a year, but I know there are other organizations that that's their role. So I'm in strategic accounts, but I'm not doing one deal a year. That to me seems really challenging and really difficult. I think the best way to compensate that person is to make sure on a regular basis you're compensating them for the efforts that they're doing to drive that deal to closure. The best way, in my opinion, put people in a situation where they're they're winning on a regular basis, a kind of like small to mid-size, but they have one to two to three very large transactions in a given year that really put them into the stratosphere. I, I would skew the comp plan to they're going to hit, to use a baseball analogy, singles and doubles on the regular, uh, but they're going to have one or two large home runs a year that are really going to put them into the, you know, the president's club land, the two, 300, 400% land. And with that, how do you tend to look at being some, that someone that has a book of business that's 25 accounts, half unpaid, some paid? How are you breaking down your time and how would you see that leverage into a comp plan of new business versus uh, expansion upsell? There are specific things that only I am capable of doing. What I mean by that are like building relationships with the champion, helping customers to define success criteria for bringing on like a new proof of value, new risk assessment, handling really, really, really complex or really sticky support cases. Those are the things that I spend building relationships across the customer stack of folks that I can leverage to get access to new people. So those are the things that I focus on all my time on doing. And then everything else I creatively either insource or outsource. It makes sense. You mentioned the sticky support cases. I know this is something that a lot of organizations struggle with is how, how deep should account executives be involved in, in some of those support cases? So wh- where do you draw the line of where you should be involved in, in those things? So I definitely want to be aware of everything that's happening in, uh, in all the, the customers that I support. I look at myself as somebody who understands the ripple effect. I understand 
if the wind was to blow a little bit this way, how it could create problems downstream for the organization. I look to advise my organization of, hey, we really need to address this, this, and this, and here's why. And do you have the power then to pull in extra resources in those instances? Or, or is it more of a squeaky wheel sort of thing that you become the squeaky wheel? Yeah, <laughs> squeaky wheels definitely get the grease. You don't definitely want to be the boy that cried wolf every time there's a problem. You know, you're emailing 14 people and copying another 10. But I do think empowering strategic folks that work on accounts where significant revenue is at stake, allowing them to engage with the different levels of support and calling it like they see it and making sure that things are documented is important. Just to wrap up, I know a lot of listeners aspire ultimately to be strategic account executives. So what are some of your best pieces of advice for people who maybe are SMB reps or even mid-market reps who are looking to make the move up into the big deal territory? The most important things for you, if you're looking to move up market, is really understand the deal from the customer's perspective. Why are they buying? What problem are they solving? That's number one. And some of those other things we spoke about earlier, uh, why wouldn't they buy? And who in the organization can you work with and leverage partner with to potentially win the deal? Yeah, you can do it again. I'm also curious about what what skills did you have to acquire, you know, as you as you progressed from, you know, basically BDR to strategic account executive. One thing, and there was a manager that I worked with earlier in my career. He said, "Be a vacuum for for contact information." You know, you never know. Somebody may apply to reply to an email, and they may accidentally leave their mobile number on the reply. Like, great, take that, pop it in your your Outlook. You have that number forever. Understanding how to build org charts and how to use them strategically. So like understanding like the mapping of who reports to whom and, and why that dynamic is important. I also think how to leverage influence in an account and how to use power in the right way. It comes back to this, what we spoke about earlier of, you know, I may not be the best person to deliver a message. It may be a VP on my side, a C, my CEO. It may be uh, an engineering manager. They may be the better, a better suited person to deliver a message, whether it's via email, on a call, uh, or as a follow-up or something like that. Yeah, that one really comes full circle to John McMahon's uh, book, which we've, it's like we're selling the book on this podcast, The Qualified Sales Leader, because he, he talks about a lot about champions. I mean, I think that's the most valuable part of that book is, is sort of thinking about champions and competitors, champions and so on. But one of the things he talks about is uh, two different types of champions. One are, he calls IA champions. Those are people who have influence and authority. And those people are your business champions. And then he, he has another category he calls INA, which is influence, but no authority. So to the point of your mapping, not just the organization reporting structure, but also mapping who the people are in the organization that may not be on the executive leadership team, but they're the people everybody goes to. And you, everyone has these in their company, right? They're the people everyone goes to, to pressure test things and, and, uh, and check themselves. So you do have to find, find both of those people. Brilliant. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for for sharing your experiences, your wisdom. I love that we talked a little bit about uh, sales compensation, but heavily about account and deal intelligence. So thanks so much for being on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 